Spoken Label. Spoken Label. Hi guys, it's Andy N again, live from Spoken Label. Back on the phone again tonight, and the poet in question I'm talking to tonight, I've just been chatting to her about a few, a few minutes before, actually, and it's been one that you find sometimes when you're a writer and poet and stuff, people's names come up over and over and over, sometimes you do. And in Emily's case, who we're chatting to tonight, I first came aware of her name from an anthology called Overland Oversea, which is poems for those seeking refuge in 2015. And I've been keeping it careful. I've been following her ever, ever since, really. And she's a fantastic writer. So well, she'll tell you herself in a moment. And it was one of those ones we've been planning for a while. So it's a pleasure having you online with me tonight, Emma. So thank you for this tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. Now, pleasure to be here. Okay. Um, obviously, first of all, then, as I always do with Spoken Label, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell everybody where your writing originally came from, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, I'm Emily. I'm one of those writers that began writing very young as a child. I was the one that was telling people stories and then eventually writing them down, and then stories became poems. Mm. And I started getting published as a teenager because I was looking at this expanding pile of poems and decided I ought to do something with them. So I started sending them out. And so I didn't sound like a complete newbie when I was sending out my poems. I mentioned that I also wrote music reviews. And one poetry magazine came back and said, oh, do you want to do book reviews as well? So my reviewing career and poetry career sort of carried on in parallel. And I'm now reviews editor for the Blue Nib magazine. And I've had three poetry collections published. And my fourth is due out at the end of February. Yeah. I can see that as well. Looking, looking at your thing yourself, like you this, you've had, you've had nominations in the past for the Forward Best Poetry Prize, yeah. and I know you've had some work done on the BBC Radio as well, haven't you? So, how how was that then? How did how did it how did it feel being on BBC Radio? It just felt like chatting to the DJ because the great thing about radio is you never quite see the audience, no. so it just feels like you're chatting to someone in your front lounge. So. Oh, yeah, no, completely. That's why, that's why I like when it was doing me spoken out podcasts with people. I try to keep them as informal as I can, really. That way, it's just like, you're just like two friends chatting, really, aren't you? So, yeah. No, yeah. brilliant. Now, obviously, like you said before, you, you come back to what you said before, and obviously, when you started off doing all the reviews and stuff at the same time, have you managed to keep doing all your music reviews, or just poetry reviews you do nowadays? No, the music reviews sort of fell by the wayside. I think there comes a point where trying to find time to get out to watch bands is a bit difficult particularly, <coughs> you know. I'm a mum as well. So. Oh yeah, nice fair play. You've got you've got the unpaid job to deal with as well, haven't you really, as I would say. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I get you completely right. Now you told me before as well, you're originally from the Black Country area, aren't you? So and West Country. Yeah, and the West Country Black Country. I've got friends I've got friends I've got friends in the Black Country, sorry. Oh, I'm gonna kill me for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean you're from the West Country and obviously you moved to Leicester when you were a student really, didn't you? And stayed in the area. Yeah, then, so they did, so they made me too welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the area kind of grabbed you, didn't it, really? So, yeah, yeah. And I get you completely. And you're a member of Leicester Writers Club, is that is that still existing, that one, is it? Oh, yes, it's in its 62nd year. Is it really? Uh, wow. Yep. Wow. Our, our members range from 18, or <laughs> the oldest getting poems published herself, all the way up to 90. Wow. That, that's some, some going, that, isn't it? Oh, impressive. Now, um, look at your CV as well. And I can see you read over at Leicester Football Club. Yes, I was, what was invited 
to do an International Women's Day event, and it was based at Leicester Football Club, oh. and they were still at Filbert Street. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, fact, no, as a football fan, I've been to Filbert Street, but that's, that's not poetic at all, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, fantastic. Now, obviously, then they said, yeah, I can see him. You have done a number of books over the years, like you said already, haven't you? So, what's the first thing you bought, out, which I've read this right? Was it your pamphlet, Mimicking a Snowdrop? No, the very first one was Yellow Torchlight from the Blue. Right. Now, I was trying to I was get on your bio, I wasn't sure what came first, and that's right. Yeah, so. yeah. And then Mimicking a Snowdrop, the pamphlet, was second. And then third <laughs> publication in 2015 was Ghosts in the Desert, ah. Indigo Dreams. Right, okay, yeah. now. Okay, tell us a bit about each of your three collections that have been published today, then. Start off with Yellow Torchlight, then, and the Blues. Because it's, it's a great title, immediately. <laughs> yeah, the title poem was set in the jazz club in Bristol because my school friend's father played in a jazz band, so I often went down to the jazz band ah, down right. in the city centre. And the collection itself does have a lot of music-based poems that one inspired by a quote by Kim Gordon, as well as jazz. And uh, I was just wondering about that, whether it's a jazz influence or that. And there was there is a lot of that book then at the time was that quite jazzy sort of pop pieces almost was it all? Quite a lot of it covered the music scene because a lot of it was inspired by my time um, reviewing music. Ah, right, yeah. So obviously then you went to obviously a couple of, a bit a little bit later to mimic and a snowdrop, which I absolutely. That's a fantastic image itself, that one. So, where did the pamphlet come from next? Then? And did um, you... I've been doing some research into the life of the poet Lydia, uh, Lillian Bowes Lyon, who was ah. actually a distant cousin of the Queen Mother. And during the Second World War, uh, she trained as a first aid nurse, so she would go out after the air raid sirens and assist paramedics. And she also did some voluntary work in a playgroup in the east end of London, Stepney. So you imagine a bunch of working-class kids traumatised by the war, living in poverty, you know, uncles and able-bodied relatives away at war. And one of the games that they used to play was to mimic a flower. And each of the kids chose a different flower. There's a poem in the collection called (coughs) Billy's Sunflower where Billy stands tall and pretends to be a sunflower. Another little boy pretended to be a dandelion, because that was the only flower he knew. And one little girl used to mimic a snowdrop. So that's where the idea of the poem came from. It's a, it's a fantastic time. Explain, explain to beautiful that one. Did you, have you found, then, with obviously your three collections to date that have been published in the forthcoming one, have you found that your writing has changed much over the past few years with each project? You do love to think it sort of improves over the years. Um, it's certainly developed in the earlier I was writing a lot about music and as I don't tend to go out to live music much anymore, I'm now finding different sources of inspiration. Um, there are a lot of ghosts and ghosts in the desert, as the title suggests, and there's also a long sequence in there about the Matrix film. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And then my next collection, Significance of the Dress, really grew from some of the poems I was writing around the time of editing <coughs> over land, over sea. So the refugee theme emerging. Right, yeah. Yeah, I know you sent over to me your book to have a read on. I really, really enjoyed it, certainly. You so. played it again. Ah, oh, this phone is, sorry. I apologise <laughs> to everybody that's struggling with this tonight. 
This phone's doing some nice strange things tonight. Right, yeah, sorry about that. You're back again. Right, back again. I do apologise. Okay, and, and I said, I know you sent a wee book to me to have a read on, but I found it a really fascinating book, certainly because of the layers in the book itself. And did it take you quite a long time to get this book developed, to get this book finished, did it? Um, I, when I'm writing, I don't really think in terms of writing on the next book. I'm just writing poems. And then eventually, when I've got a sizable collection of them, I'll see if I can sift them through and see if their themes emerge and there is enough for a collection there. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. No, no, get, get you straight away with that one immediately. So, yeah. Right, so it's almost like, yeah, you just let it develop naturally then, really, don't you? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I get you completely with that one immediately. So, right, I said that straight away. So, but like I said, over how long did it take you to get this book, that book done then? Was it a couple of years, I suppose, this book then, was it? Yeah, I started writing poems in sort of 2015. And then in 2018, Arachne Press put a call out for an anthology. So I sent some poems in for consideration for the anthology. And the press came back and said they didn't want to put them in the anthology. They wanted to work on a single a single author collection instead. Oh, wow. So my reaction to that was, great, how many poems do you want? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fantastic. When you get news like that, it just makes your day completely, doesn't it? So, it does, it does. Oh, it's yeah. wonderful. Oh, yeah, completely with that one. So and then it was a case of, like you said, if you took the next couple of years, haven't you really getting the book together then really after that? Yeah. So, yeah. <coughs> yeah, I get completely with that. Now, obviously, in... What's the what's the reoccurring themes in this book then? So if people sorry, are wondering you... Ah, sorry. This probably <laughs> really caused me problems tonight. Sorry, I do apologise again. Right, um, okay, what are the reoccurring themes of this book? Refugees pop up a lot and there are three very different poems about dresses. So obviously the title poem is The Significance of a Dress and that is set in a wedding hire shop in a refugee camp. And then yeah. there's another one called Bridal Dresses in Beirut, which is about a protest against Article 522 in the Lebanese law, which exonerated rapists who marry their victims. So yeah. they were using wedding dresses as a form of protest. I was going to ask you about that, because um, I know that's come up in the news again fairly recently, that piece, and I did see that one straight, straight away, so that yeah. one. So no, it's, I said, no, it's fantastic, fantastic, fantastic book, it really is, that one, so... Like I said, and obviously I can tell, what I liked about that one was, when your bridal dresses in Beirut piece was, I could feel your anger in the piece. But what you did was, you really held the, held the anger back on it. And I think that, you, you know yourself, that probably tell, gives it more, doesn't it, really? So, yeah. That yeah. way, yeah. No, that's straight away, so, no, no, completely. So, have you got any sort of readings planned in support of this program? Have you I was just going to suggest perhaps I could read Bridal Dresses in Beirut and just try and find the poem. Yeah, yeah, sure. What we tend to, what we tend to do with Spoken Label is, um, well, when we finish our chatting off in a few minutes, then, then basically we'll get you to do a second section where you can read the poems out for us if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, straight away. So, have you, what sort of, um, have you got any readings coming up in mind for support of this book then, have you? Sorry, you're fading again. Oh, is it fading again, this phone? I'm sorry about this, everybody. <laughs> I've gone, have you got any readings in support of this book coming out? Yes, I'm reading at Leicester Central Library on the 11th of March from 7 o'clock. And I'm also doing a reading at States of Independence in Leicester on the 21st of March. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, and do you have any sort of projects you've got in mind that you're going to be on, on next after this book, then? 
Sorry, he's gone again. Gone again, is it? You're back now. <laughs> I don't oh, know what you... I'm going to have to come down. I'm going to fucking throw this phone on the wall afterwards. So. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sorry about this, everybody, today. And I apologise to you, Emma. The phone was phone doesn't want to do this. But um, I was going to say to you, when this, um, you've got, obviously, on, you've done the readings of this book, do you have any sort of, what projects do you have in mind next? Um, just to carry on reviewing and writing poems and then in a few years' time I'll look back and see if I've got enough for the next collection. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely completely on that one, so. Have you found, is there any, any particular books you can recommend at the moment to people that you've been really enjoying yourself recently? Um, I loved Patricia Smith's Incendiary Art, which is from Blood Axe. And I'd recommend Jay Bernard's Surge at the new Crossfire in London. Cool. It's a fabulous collection. Oh, cool. Now, I wanted to ask you about as well, um, obviously with your book here, where did your interest in Alice Hawkins come from? She was from Leicester. <laughs> oh, was she really? Leicester. Ah, yes. right. Yeah, I knew the name again. That's why I was just when I was looking through the book before. That's why, because then I liked the very diary sort of nature of her. Quite a long piece on this one. That's why. So, was this? Uh, did you find her stuff by accident? You did then, was or was it? Was this something you've had in mind for quite a while? This piece. Um, I edited an anthology in 2016 called Welcome to Leicester, where we put out a call out for poems around Leicester City and themed. And we sort of sat down beforehand and picked out some of the things that we wanted to see poems on, and Alice Hawkins was one of them. Sadly, we didn't get any poems submitted about Alice Hawkins, so I sat down oh, to write one. That and make, makes sense, I, and yeah found some of her diaries, so my poem is based on her diary entries, which is why it takes the diary format. Right, you're getting on. Because I've said this, um, obviously with me not moving from the Leicester area, I'd, yeah. I'd heard yeah. of the name, certainly, that there is significance up in Manchester of my suffragettes movement, yeah. but that's why I didn't actually know she was from Leicester, and that kind of makes sense then, really, like you said then, so... You're making sure you get get it get that in the book and yeah, straight away. Yes, no? yeah. Oh excellent. <laughs> no, good luck with it. So certainly. Right. Okay then. Should we take take a quick pause and I'll get this call saved then? And we'll give yep. you a chance to get get yourself prepared and we'll read a few poems out in a few minutes. Yep. yep. Okay, okay, right. As I always do with the telephone call ones then. Bear with me. I'll get this call saved and we'll be right back to you in a minute, everybody. And you okay. Emma as well. Okay, okay. Okay. See you in a minute then, okay? Bye. Yep. Hi guys, it's Andy again. Right, I'm still with Emma, and Emma's going to read out four poems for us tonight. Uh, over to you, Emma. Yeah. We were talking in the interval, in the interview, about bridal dresses in Beirut. So I'm going to read that one first. Brilliant. Bridal dresses in Beirut. Each dress hangs from the noose. One is plain satin with scalloped lace, another an orgy of tools. Dreamy organza with applique flowers hanging from wire, strung between palm trees. One is short, a shift with a tulip skirt, the sort of dress picked in a hurry to satisfy a shotgun, or Article 522. The breeze breathes through them, bullies the dresses into ghosts, brides with no substance, angels bereft of their voices. I just want to say the protest worked. Article 522 has now been repealed. Good. So nobody has to marry their rapist anymore. It's a horrific reason that it was. I just I remember that I read about that last year, 
And I don't go into politics on this podcast for various reasons, but it just it made me yeah. sick. It made me sick to the stomach when I heard that idea. Just, yeah. just can't believe it. But I'm I'm glad it's great news. It's been propelled by certainly. So, thank you for that, Anna. Okay, <laughs> what's your second poem? This is the opening poem from the collection, and it was published in the Morning Star paper. And back in 2015, one of the things the then Prime Minister David Cameron was talking about was how awful it must have been for British holidaymakers in Greece, seeing all these refugees turning up. So I wanted to write a poem from the viewpoint of a British holidaymaker on the Isle of Kos witnessing these refugees. This is, I saw life jackets left on the beach. I asked the waiter, but he shrugged. Later, he loaded crates into the manager's car. She looked dead on her feet, said something about an extra sitting at dinner. But there weren't any new guests. It was my two weeks in the sun. I'd eaten nothing but lettuce for weeks to look okay in my bikini. The waiter stopped flirting, went quiet. I followed him to the derelict hotel, where tents sprung up like mushrooms overnight. He didn't want to talk. I didn't push it. You learn that at a call centre. Some people think you're a machine and they just poke buttons. Others, you're the only person they talk to all day. I'd only come to Sundays. So helping give out food didn't seem much. One mother told me men drifted around, and she didn't think her daughters were safe after their journey. They didn't want confinement to a crowded room. I became a chaperone. I taught them hopscotch on the beach. The laughter is such a strange sound. Paperwork's slow at the best of times. I left my euros at the hotel to pass on. I hope it helped. I brought them sanitary pads. People don't think about that. Their bodies are capable of creating life. And now I shall read the title poem, The Significance of Address which is set in a refugee camp in northern Iraq, in a bridal hire shop. Significance of Address Even if home is makeshift, and her carriage is a borrowed pair of shoes, that dance over gravel baked in the desert heat, a bride still wants to feel special, at least for one day. <coughs> no one can afford to buy when twenty neighbours share a latrine, and there's a constant visual against disease. Tulin, named after a daughter, offers gown hire, makeup and hairstyling that will withstand humid evenings. I don't ask how old they are, says the beautician. A mural outside shows a girl in a white gown holding a teddy bear. The future is tomorrow, next year is a question. A wedding is a party, a welcome, a sign of hope. The dresses sparkle with sun-reflected diamante, but the gravel paths of the camp leave the hem stained. I'd like to finish with something on a slightly lighter note. There are some lighter poems in there too. <laughs> <laughs> and this is When Your Name's Not Smith. Well, he writes, I imagine taking his form and folding it into a paper boat, perhaps filling his letter tray with water from the cooler to see if the boat floats or sinks, if ink will seep from water to paper and colour it. Family legend has that some great-great relative decided to run away to, to sea, away from weaving or sheep farming. His name was a barrier, so he changed it to fit in. He didn't think some distant niece would end up standing in a bank watching a teller fill out a form with a name I'd said I'd spell, but he asserted he knew how to spell it. 
his burrow skims the page while I jam my hands into my pockets in case they follow my desire to snatch the artificial daisy from its plastic bars. Tear off each petal. He knows my name. He knows it not. He asks me to sign his form. I tell him I can't. My name is not spelt correctly. Brilliant. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to read some poems and be interviewed. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed that. What we're going to do is we're going to terminate the podcast now, but hang around. I need a quick word to you anyway. So, so, but this is Andy N signing out for tonight. And thank you again. Brilliant tonight. I've really enjoyed them. So, thank you again. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Spoken, mate.